Hey, y'all, I, I don't know about y'all. Hebrews chapter 10 says, I think it's chapter 10, says that we as Christ followers are to stir, to stir one another up in love and good works. And that word, y'all, the, the Greek word that's used there, to stir up, is the same word. It would be like a coach at halftime in the locker room firing up a football team. It's that same word. And I don't know about y'all, but the, the worship that we just experienced, the musical worship we just experienced, I, are you stirred up from that? I mean, oh, my goodness. And, and y'all, it is week in and week out under Stephen Fortenberry, our, our student-slash-worship pastor, under his leadership. It is every week, y'all, I just get so stirred up and prepared to preach, and I assume that y'all get stirred up and prepared to hear a word from the Lord, so I pray that that's going to happen today. I want to give you a couple of little announcements uh, in addition to that. One is this, that, uh, that in September we're starting, and we talked about it last week uh, in the message, talked about life groups, life groups, not growth groups. We're going to talk about growth groups next week, but we're talking about life groups. They're not Bible studies. It's a life group. They're, they're not at some deep theology. They are doing life together. And there's a few different components, but it's mainly hanging out together, sharing a meal together, uh, a little bit of devotion time, breaking bread together, bearing each other's burdens, and just walking, just walking this road, this road of life together. And so if you have not signed up for Life Group, we really want everybody in our church to be in a life group. You can go to churchonthetrail.org, click on connect, and I think it's the first little thing where it drops down. I want you also, the second thing I want to say is invite your friends along this walk with you. Invite your friends to, to come with you to a life group and have a hamburger or a hot dog. Or find a life group where they're serving fillets. I don't know. But invite your friends along. Invite sense inside of me, a sense and a knowledge that my relationship with him has been restored. It's a sense and a knowledge that I'm no longer alienated. I'm no longer separated from him. It's a sense and a knowledge that, that our relationship's been reconciled. It's a sense and a knowledge that somehow now I'm accepted by him and I'm pleasing him. It's a sense and a knowledge that I, am, I have become freed, freed. I have freedom from facing his wrath and his judgment. Somehow I'm, I'm freed from even fearing his wrath and his judgment. All right, I hope that makes sense. Now, what is the source? What does Paul, Paul say the source of that peace is? Where does it come from? Therefore, since we've been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The source of the peace, y'all, is Christ. You and I can have peace with the God of the universe only because of Jesus Christ. There's not a hundred sources there's one source. He is the source, and his name is Christ. It's Jesus. It's him alone who reconciles us, reconciles us with God. And he's made that peace available through the shed blood of the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All the way back to Isaiah, 800 or so years prior, chapter 53, verse 5. 
It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. The chastisement was on him, but it brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. With all of that, we, we have peace and we're healed. So number one result of justification is that we have peace with God. And y'all, to tell the truth, if that was the sum total of everything that I get out of that deal, I'd kind of okay with it. I have peace now with a holy God. I'm, I'm good, but wait, y'all, there's more. There's more. Verse 2, through him, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So result number two of being justified or saved is access into the grace of God. Generally speaking, grace is a gift or it's a favor. It's unmerited and it's undeserved. It's totally undeserved. In Romans 5, though, there's a little different nuance again to this word grace. I want you to look at what the Bible says here. It says, into this grace in which we do what? Stand. We stand in the grace. Grace is looked on here in Romans 5 as a place or, or, or a position. It's a place that we're brought into. It's a position into which we're placed. We're standing in it. I'm standing right now in, in, in grace. I'm standing in a pool of, of grace. I'm covered up with it. I'm wallowing in it. Y'all know what waller means? I'm wallering in the grace of God. Hashtag wallering in grace. Y'all, if you're watching online, I don't know how to spell wallering. I know there's not an R in there. But wallering in the grace. It's right here. Like, it's the place of God's presence. It's the position that I have now when I'm saved. It's a position of salvation, y'all. And if you're justified, if you've been justified, you're standing in God's presence. Right now, you're standing in God's presence. Right now, you're standing before God saved. You were, the song they just sang, from death to life. I was dead, and now I'm standing alive. I'm standing now in the favor of God. I'm standing now in the privileges of God. I'm standing now in the promises of God, his favor and his privilege and his promises. Y'all, and it's through Christ that we have access into that grace. That access, that word in, in the original language, it means to bring to, to, to move to, to introduce, to introduce, to present. We're presented by faith into the grace that I'm standing in. It's like the thought of, uh, of royalty. It's like, uh, it's like the royal court. You know, you think about England. It's like being presented and introduced to the king of kings, right? It's like by faith, it's like, here, Jesus, this is Zach Morris. I introduce you to him, and now he's wallering in the grace. Do y'all get that? That's what this word access means, and we're just standing there all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, wallering up in the grace, and now we have, that we now have access to, not because we did anything, but because we have faith, because we believe, because we trust. That was all of what chapter 4 was about. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once what? Far off, like you were way, y'all see the water fly? Far off. But now you have been brought near, not by anything that you did. Me and you don't bring anything to the table. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we're standing in God's grace. We're standing in his very presence. And we're not bowed down. We're not intimidated. We're not paralyzed with fear. We're not humiliated. Christ has justified us, and he's removed our guilt as far as the east is from the west. He's removed our shame. He's removed the condemnation that's very much self-inflicted or the condemnation that that devil gets up in your ear and says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you are, my child, because I died on the cross. Y'all, if that don't need a clap, listen, it's given us that idea that what happened on the cross, it just gives us big-time confidence before God. And so, therefore, we take a stand. We take a stand in the, in the honor and the dignity that we can have before him. And we're standing clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's that other side of the coin I was talking about of justification. And so when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see all the dirt he sees that white robe of Jesus wrapped around me. And then we're, bought, we're, we're, we're brought into his presence for a purpose. It's not purposeless. It's purposeful. We're brought into his presence for service. So it's not a time to sit around and be lazy. We stand before him justified. Of course we do. But we stand before him to receive our marching orders. Look at uh, uh, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor, your, your work is not done in vain. It is, it is with purpose. So number two result of justification is access by faith to stand in his grace. And then third, third result is hope, and it's hope for the glory of God. So the rest of verse 2 says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope. Hope, hope for a Christ follower is for the glory of God. Y'all, when Scripture speaks of a believer's hope, it's different. It's different than what the, what the world means by hope. Hope for the world is I want, I desire like, I, I hope that something happens. I hope they got SpaghettiOs tomorrow at Publix when Susan goes to the grocery store. If you didn't hear last week's message, that was a veiled reference to something that just came out of my mouth last week that I promise you was not in the notes. For real, though, for real. The world hopes, the world wants, the world desires that something would happen. For a believer, hope is not like that. The hope of a believer is a surety, S-U-R-E-T-Y. It's a surety. It is a warranty. It is a guarantee. It's secure. It's security. It's like a bond. It is perfect assurance and confidence that something is going to happen. Well, how is it that a believer's hope can be that sure? How can it be that absolute? How can it be this perfect assurance? How can that be? And I believe it's because for a believer, hope is an inward possession. 
it, 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 we own it inside. It is internal. The, the believer's hope is based upon the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's based upon the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of a believer. In fact, the, the believer possesses the hope of the glory of God only by the Spirit of God living inside of him. And verse 2 says that we do what with that little tidbit? We rejoice in it. Paul wrote to this, the church in Ephesus in chapter 1. He said, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is what? The guarantee. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and when you were sealed... The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's when we know that we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, until we possess that inheritance, the Holy Spirit seals that for us, and it all is for the praise of His glory. And then you think about, y'all, how far short we often come. Instead of rejoicing in the glorious hope that God provides for us, that God gives us, we moan and we groan and we whine and we complain and we, we live a discouraged life and we live in despair and COVID this and coronavirus that, all that stuff. We live that discouraged life. We slip back into the ways of the world, the lust of the flesh and the eyes, and we chase after the stuff of the world. But I'm telling you right here and right now that, that the glory, the glory that is hoped for by a believer by Christ follower, it ought to ridiculously exceed the very most awesome experience that you can have on this planet. The most awesome experience you could ever dream of on the planet should be exceeded by the believer's hope in the glory of God. That glory means that we, we, we possess and we live in and we're full of perfect light, that we dwell in the, in the perfect splendor and the perfect magnificence of God. We wallered in grace. We ought to also waller in the glory. That's another hashtag, y'all. Hashtag waller in the glory of God. We're all up in that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is kind of not a big deal? No, no. It's glory beyond all comparison. It exceeds everything. So the third result of justification is hope in the glory of God. And then the fourth is this. We should celebrate suffering. Celebrating suffering. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Not only that, so he's looking back to verses 1 and 2. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And, and that hope does not put us to shame. Y'all, when oysters, which I can't stand oysters, raise your hand if you like oysters. I probably shouldn't say this, but they look like whale snot to me. But <laughs> oysters. When an oyster suffers this affliction of a grain of sand getting inside of them, no matter what they do, they can't get rid of it. They can't get rid of it. It is annoying. It's stressful. 
It gets lodged in there, and it is super irritating to an oyster. It's a thorn, and they can't do anything to get rid of the thorn that is in their side. It drives them nuts. But to bring comfort to their anguish, they begin to coat that little grain of sand. Y'all, does the, is the grain of sand removed from their life? It is not. It begins to get coated, and it begins to get coated so that they can be comfortable in it. And it gets coated, and it, and it gets coated over and over and over again, coating that, that sand. It doesn't get rid of the sand. It just comforts the oyster. I guess oysters can feel comforted. For my analogy, it works. So over time, that coating of the grain of sand, over and over and over and over, it creates something that costs a fortune, and it's called a pearl. So if we really look at it, what, what, what is a pearl? What would we say a pearl is? We would say that a pearl is the result of a stressed-out, irritated oyster. Out of, out of that comes something that we place huge value on. The thorn's not removed, the, but the pain results in beauty. The pain, the suffering, results in elegance. The pain results in something of supremely high value. Y'all, when God allows me and you to suffer, he is producing something precious in your life. He's producing something precious and beautiful and valuable in your life. Y'all, when me and you are for real justified, we're not, we're not just defeated by trials and, and by sufferings. When, it, when it's real, the trials, the pain, they're not as overwhelming and they're not as discouraging. When you believe that what you believe is really real, and I mean really real, when you believe like that, y'all then the despair and the feelings of hopelessness can just begin to dissipate. What, what begins to happen is that the trials and the sufferings become purposeful and meaningful. I never said the trial and the suffering goes away. It doesn't. It could. It could. But, but it probably won't. But they become purposeful and meaningful. When we're really, truly justified, we know a couple things. We know that our life and our well-being are completely under the control of God's grace. Our life and our well-being are under his watchful eye. And because of that fact, every event in our life, good, bad, ugly, pleasant, painful, whatever they are, they're allowed by God for a reason. If you are a believer, if you are a believer and you read the scripture and it says all things work together for good, that's not where it stops, y'all. That's not where the verse stops. For those that what? That love him. All of it gets stirred up in a pot and he's, he's molding you and he's shaping you into something beautiful, into a pearl. That This passage in Romans 5, it, it explains the benefits of the trials, the benefits of the suffering. It shows exactly how suffering in this life can work into good for me and you. And that word sufferings means pressure. It means oppression. It means uh, affliction. It's stress. It, it means like to be pressed together uncomfortably tightly. That's what happens to the oyster. 
And it's all kinds of pressure from just the day-to-day pressures and stuff of life to the pressure of confronting a super serious illness from the, to, the, to the pressure of, of even confronting death itself. Look, Jesus said in John chapter 16, in verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Not in yourself. He said, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Huge but. But take heart. Why would you take heart? Because he's overcome the world. Jump back to verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Four points here. Number one is this. Suffering produces endurance. Patience, fortitude, steadfastness, perseverance. That's a, that word's not passive. It's an active word. It's not the mindset that just sits back and says, I'm going to put up with the trials of life taking whatever may come my way, but it is a mindset that stands up and faces life's trials actively, that actively goes about conquering and and overcoming them. When the trials of life show up, the man or the woman that's justified gets stirred up and faces them head on. How? By leaning into the Lord to overcome them. That guy understands, at least he begins to understand, that God may be allowing the suffering to teach him more and more endurance. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So suffering produces endurance, and then endurance produces character, integrity, inner strength. It's the idea of proven experience, of gaining strength through the trials of life. Y'all, when you endure a trial... There is no doubt that you come out the other end stronger. Stronger. Typically, much stronger in character and integrity. You end up with a way better grip on the presence and the strength of God. If you lean into him, you come out the other end with a way better grip on on the strength and the presence of the Lord in your life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, but he said to me, and this Paul saying Christ said to him, he said, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, Jesus' power, is made perfect in weakness. And he's talking about in your weakness, in Paul, in your weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses and insults and, and hardships and persecutions and calamities. He says, for when I am weak then I am strong through Christ, right? So endurance produces character, and then character produces hope. Let's talk about hope for a little, uh, another minute. Hope is to expect with confidence. And y'all, I think hope, I want to talk about it for another minute because I think hope is a huge delineator, a huge uh, separator between a lost person and a, and a found person, between a lost person and a saved person. A saved person has hope. Typically, people that aren't, I don't know how they suffer through anything in life. The death of a child, the death of a spouse, I, I don't know. But when we're, when we're a believer, when we've been justified, we have hope. So it is to expect with confidence. It's to look and long for with a guarantee, with a warranty. 
when a justified man or a justified woman becomes stronger in character, they draw closer to God. And the closer they draw to God, the more they have hope for the glory of God. Verse 5 says, hope doesn't put us to shame. Hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't delude. It doesn't confuse. A Christ follower, a saved person, a person who's truly been justified, will never be disappointed or shamed in that they'll see their hope fulfilled. He'll live forever in the presence of God, inheriting the promises that God makes us in Scripture. David wrote in Psalm 22, To you they cried and were rescued. In you they have trusted and were not put to shame. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify, glorify God in that name. Now look at how this passage ends, the last part of the passage. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Y'all, there is this continuous experience of God's love, this continuous experience of God's love through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This never-ending fountain. Y'all, it's like a spring that never runs dry, and it's the culmination of his work. He works suffering into endurance and then character and then hope, and we're never ashamed. Okay, but why? How can he possibly uh, work that out like that? It's love, y'all. It's love. It's God's love, and it is poured into us. That love fills up our hearts. How? It's through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us and indwells us and lives inside of us. God's love is, it is demonstrated in his justifying the person who repents and believes in his son. John 3.16, the verse of all verses, the verse of all verses, for God so loved the world. Y'all know what is packed in that? He so loved the world. He just didn't kind of like the world. He didn't just kind of like you. He loves you, and it is a sacrificial love. It's not just some affection. For God so loved the world. And what did he do? Because he so loves you in sacrifice, what does the text say? He gave his only son. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if we would just believe in him, then we will have everlasting life. Do y'all know how much is packed into that verse? That is the love of the Father. So the Holy Spirit grows and matures us in the love of God and increases the way that we understand and the way that we feel about what God has done and what he's doing in our lives. He helps us to learn more and more about he, the Holy Spirit, helps us to understand more about our justification and more and more about the glorious salvation that is freely given to us. The Holy Spirit makes us conscious and aware of God's love. The Holy Spirit gives us a deep and an intimate sense 
of God's love. And it is the Holy Spirit that shines a light on God's unwavering presence in our lives. And it's this sense and this intimacy of God's love that Paul is stressing. It's a personal experience. It's a, it's a personal manifestation of the presence and the love of the Father, of His justification and of the way He cares for us as we walk through life. John 14 says, Jesus answered him. Who was He answering? A guy named Judas. Not traitor Judas, it was another Judas. But here's what Jesus said. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. That is, I can't even read my own chicken scratch. Dwell, dwell. He will dwell with you. In the Old Testament, they, it, it, it like means tabernacling. He will live with you. He will dwell with you. He'll make a home with you. And don't forget the Bible here, it says that the Holy Spirit is given to us. And He enters our hearts and our lives for the very purpose of sealing and guaranteeing us. And He seals and He guarantees our salvation. And He seals the fact that God so loves you and so cares for you and so wants to look after you. And it is because of His indwelling presence, making a home, dwelling in you, that we can have this continuous and, and unbroken experience of God's love. Now, I want you to remember this mind-blowing intimacy that is now available to you, this mind-numbing intimacy with God is a direct result of justification. It is only a person who is justified. It is only a person who is saved only a Christ follower that can truly experience the love of God. It is about having a relationship with Him. It is not, you bring nothing to the table. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do. It is about a relationship. Y'all, the story is told of two dogs. A German shepherd and a dachshund. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. That would be Rudy. That would be Rudy. The German shepherd argued that he's bigger and he's stronger, and Rudy argued that he was cuter. Rudy actually rode a boogie board that day. But Rudy argued that he was cuter. Well, the German shepherd, who is at the moment game for a contest, the German shepherd asked Rudy, if he wanted to test his greatness by seeing which dog could get inside the house of the owner first, which dog could get inside the house of the master first. Rudy said, Rudy ain't scared, y'all. Rudy said, I'll take it. I'll take it. He said, you want to bet some money on it? German Shepherd said, no. Rudy said, I'll take the challenge. German Shepherd went first. German Shepherd's big and strong, and he can do all kind of stuff. So the German shepherd, he opens up his mouth, he jumps up on the door, and he's working, and he's working, and he's working, and he's trying to turn the doorknob with his mouth, and he's working, and he's twisting, and he's tweaking, and he said, I can't get it with his mouth, but he's working hard, y'all. He's working hard. He puts his paws up there. It's like five, six minutes, and finally he, the knob begins to turn because he worked hard enough, and he's working, and he's working, and, and, and five, six minutes later, he gets the door open, and he was worn out. 
Y'all, he's worn out by the effort. Like his life is just worn out from the doing, doing, doing. And that's Rudy's turn. Rudy's smart, y'all. Rudy's smart. Rudy goes over to the door, and he hops up on his hind legs, and he scratches. The owner came and opened the door. The master came and opened the door. Well, why? Rudy and the master have a relationship. The master heard Rudy scratching. He opens up the door and lets him in his house, y'all. Rudy knew how to get the attention of the owner. Religion takes work and work and work, and it will wear you out. Lots of effort. Relationship requires a lot less. Have you ever scratched on the door of the owner, y'all? If you've never scratched on the door of the master, scratch the door today. Hashtag scratch the door like Rudy or something. <laughs> I promise you he will open the door. If you're watching online today, if you're watching online and this is Thursday and you've never scratched the door of the owner, scratch the door. It is not about the effort. It's not about the work. It's about the relationship. Scratch on that door. He will open it up, and he will invite you in. He'll save you. You will have peace with him. Y'all, there's nothing like having peace with the Lord. You, you face the stuff in life so differently, so differently when you can lean on him. There'll be hope where there was hopelessness. He'll pour his Holy Spirit into your heart and, and it'll be a guarantee until you're called home. And you will live for eternity when you are called home. That's what I'm telling you, man. If you really have never scratched the door, consider doing that today because we don't know what tomorrow brings. And it is, it is as simple as repent and believe. Repent and believe. At the potential of being redundant, it's, you don't need a Ph.D. You don't need a master's degree. You don't need a high school diploma. Repent and believe. I turn away from my sin. I turn towards the Lord, and I believe, I believe that the work on that cross took care of my sin debt, and you will be clothed in the majesty of Christ's robe. So y'all pray with me. And y'all, if this is you today, just repeat, even in your head, and I would invite you to the cross. Matter of fact, I would invite you to the cross if you are not a Christian right now and you want to be today, and I would invite you to the cross if you've got some burdens that you need to just dump on the Lord because his shoulders are big enough. The Lord, let today be the day that I say to you, I repent of my ways and I believe in you. Your word says that you will save me. Your word says that if I scratch on the door, you're going to open it up and give me a big hug. So, Lord, let today be the day that I invite you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, and if you did that, if you did that, we've got our prayer team back there. would love to talk with you. If you did that online in your living room, 
Fill out that online connection card, y'all, and let us know. We just want to walk this journey with you.